Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And this is the podcast where my sister and I talk about movies we grew up watching. This week, I'm going to talk about a little espionage movie that um, came out in the early 90s called Sneakers with a pretty good ensemble cast. And Nancy's going to start us off with a movie starring one of our one of our favorite actors who we've mentioned multiple times especially when we first started recording this podcast John Cusack and his sister in a small role but very important Joan Cusack and his other sister Ann Cusack who also dude Nancy's looking at me with this look on her face like when was she in this? Was she the one with the baby at the table? No, she she was Amy, the drunk girl. But this movie is called Gross Point Blank. Take it away, Nancy. Thanks. So Gross Point Blank, as Matt already said, stars one of our favorite actors, John Cusack, and it came out in 97. Also stars Minnie Driver and Dan Aykroyd. And just a whole host of folks. Alan Arkin plays a very funny psychiatrist and Hank Azaria. And then just kind of a whole slew. Oh, Jeremy Piven, because I don't think Jeremy Piven's in movies if it's not with John Cusack. Um, That's not true. Jeremy Piven's been in plenty of things without John Cusack. Okay. Um, He's been in at least three things that I know of with John Cusack that I've seen. I think I own all three of those DVDs. Anyways, (laughs) um, Gross Point Blank is uh, about a guy in his late 20s who has uh, kind of of escaped his old life in a sense where, you know, he abandoned everybody, his whole hometown and and his girlfriend, Minnie Driver, to join the military and then get tapped by like a special ops group to become um, an assassin. And he's been doing the self-employed assassin game for about five or so years. When we well, well, when you say assassin, it almost sounds like he like is almost works for the government, but he doesn't. Now he's a contract killer. Well, that's what I said. He's self-employed now. Yeah, he's, but he's, I don't know. Assass- assassin kind of has like this, like you work for a bigger entity kind of vibe, whereas he's just like, you know, slide the money under the under the door and I'll and I'll whack the guy that you want for whatever reason. Because I mean, he because he's not just like n- killing bad people. He also kills good people. Well, that's the whole thing. Like he said, he's a professional killer. That's how he that's how he rattles off his, you know, his resume to people, you know, that he's a a professional killer and everyone thinks he's joking. In fact, this is something odd, Matt. Everyone kind of has like a dry sense of humor in Gross Point because no one believed him. No one took him remotely seriously. Everyone thought he was just joking and all had the, oh yeah, okay, mm, yeah, does it have good dental? Oh, you know, are the hours long? I mean, everyone joked. Why would anyone take him seriously when he says he's a contract killer? Why wouldn't you press him to really reveal what he was doing if that's not what it was? Because he probably had the personality in high school to kind of not be very serious. 
and then so when he was with people maybe he just was like not the serious person mm. and then so when they're te- asking him like what do you do and he says oh I'm a professional killer mm. they don't take him seriously because they kind of feel like oh well he's not taking my question seriously okay. so why do I care okay listeners we've established this multiple times on various episodes I am not a super sarcastic person so if I'm ever bumping into someone I haven't seen in 10 years and they reveal to me that they're their career choice is to be a professional killer. You better believe I'm going to like believe that's what they're doing and really drill into them and like get specifics. I'm not going to just shrug it off and be like, Oh, uh huh, whatever. So this just kind to of lay for, that out there. Just for, if, if you ever, for those of you who um, are friends of the podcast and know Nancy and, but for, you know, you can back me up on this, but if you have not gotten to meet Nancy in person, you know she is the question lady. She will <laughs> she will ask you, you know, everything to from, you know, where were you born? What day is your birthday? I re- um, I what s- is your blood type? Excuse um, me. How many? <laughs> okay, calm down. Calm down. Well, it, but 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 it's yes, because Nancy, because it's it's not because you're nosy. It's because you like to spark conversation, and that's how you small talk. Is you ask a lot of questions. Yeah, I'm genuinely interested in lots of things. So, anyways, this is not about me. This is about Martin Blank. Who that is not true. This is about us too. Yeah. <laughs> so so Martin Blank is is kind of having. Um, a crisis. He's like kind of having like a quarter life crisis. And as Matt already mentioned, Joan Cusack's in this movie and she plays his assistant, which I think is hilarious because we already talked about working girl, which came out about 10 years before this movie where she was also like an executive assistant. So it's nice to see that she kind of stayed in that career path in these movies. I think it's also interesting though, because I mean, We've talked about how she's been in her and and John can be in a lot of movies together, but in some ways she kind of also has a similar role like she does in High Fidelity, where she kind of is like, "Come on, get you know you got to get shit done," and you know kind of calls him out on some things yeah. too a little bit. Yeah, no, she's she's the one who really pushes him to consider um, attending his high school reunion. So his ten year high school reunion pops up at the very beginning of the movie and he doesn't want to go because he's like, why the hell would I want to be around those people? Um, But then it also turns out that he has um, a contract killing job that he's got to get done, which also ends up being in his hometown. So the stars align and he needs to return to the greater Detroit area and take care of business. So... While he's, you know, stressing out about going and torturing his therapist, he also is dealing with another, um, he also has another professional problem, which is Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd plays this very goofy, cartoonish, annoying as all hell assassin in this movie. I never really liked him the first time I saw it, and... Watching it again today, I was like, yep, he is really annoying in this movie. But, I mean, he is a contract killer, too, so I guess maybe that's just a personality type that I'm not drawn to. Well, and they're they're, um, competitors. Yeah. Because they both... um, 
they both will take jobs, for example, killing the same guy, and it's like the one who actually does it is the one that gets paid. So they're competitors, and then there's they might also be wanting to kill one person, but the but whoever hired them, their 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 enemy might hire the other one, and it just becomes really convoluted and confusing. So this came out again, like we said, ninety seven. So this is a little early, but what I'm kind of imagining is there's like a Craigslist for contract killers, and like they're seeing these different opportunities of who can who can who are the hits out on, and then whoever responds to the ad first maybe has the best bid. I don't know. But, but, yeah, Dan Aykroyd has this very bizarre... His name is Gros- Grocer? Grocer? Something like that? Grocer. Grocer. Yeah. He has this, like, annoying, like, compulsion with bugging Martin about, we need to be in a union. We need to set up our He's contract to orga- killer union. Yeah. And it's like... He's oh, trying to God. organize... His whole goal is to try and organize all the contract killers together so we, they don't have this problem where they're they're butting heads and instead all can kind of work together and be some sort of like legion of of doom kind of (laughs) of contract killers well and meanwhile martin is second guessing even being in this line of work and also really emphasizes he's a non-joiner like he wants to be a lone gunman which means he's a loner he does not want to have to coordinate with other people he doesn't play well with others so this, you know, so Dan Aykroyd is in the mix, and he also finds out about this job in Gross Point, and decides, you know what, we'll go ahead and kill this person, and then we'll also just kill Martin. We'll just also kill him too. So that's kind of the setup for where all the conflict in this movie is going to be. Um, and then, of course, Martin has to reconnect with the girl that he stood up in her seven hundred dollar prom dress prom dress on prom night so he could go join the army and eventually become a contract killer mini driver and um i like them together i think the pairing of the two of them is great and you know she works at um a little um, radio station and you know one of the greatest things about this movie of course is all the music and you know being set in 97 that means that they were it's actually an actually came out in 97 but they say it's 96 yeah so they're graduating class of 86 so you get all this great 80s music and um she tortures him a little bit i mean deservedly so um about you know he wants to just kind of pick up where things were and like apologize a little bit but you know he just doesn't know how to deal with people but she gets to humiliate him a little bit on air and um there's a bit of coaxing to try to get her to agree to go to the reunion with him and all that stuff. And, you know, I like that whole part of the movie. I think that angle is pretty good. But I have to tell you, Matt, when I watch this movie, especially now, I keep thinking, why did I like this movie so much back in the day? And it came out eight-plus years after Say Anything came out. So I kind of kept thinking, all right, well, now John Cusack is 10 years older than when he did Say Anything, is this, like, what the, a reunion would have been like if, like, Lloyd Dobler was at his 10-year high school reunion? And had he broken Diane Court's heart and, like, had gone off and done the same kind of career? Like, is this what we would have ended up seeing? Oh, you mean kind of like the theory that I have about how their relationship would never work out when they go to London? Cause but we know not. you're wrong on that. We know no. you're wrong on that. I think I'm completely right, but... 
But he didn't break her heart. So, anyways. But I think that's one reason why when this movie came out, I was so excited about it. And I liked it a lot. I'm not going to say if I think it aged very well. I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted on my feelings about it now watching it all these years later. I mean, I probably have seen it probably like four or five times at least. I mean, I probably saw it, you know, at least one or two times around when it came out, maybe a couple more within a few years after that. But I haven't watched it in a long, long time. And, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's fun, but... Like I said, the Dan Aykroyd stuff really starts to bother me. And, like, Hank, so Hank Azaria and another actor, I don't know what his name is, um, they're also, like, these, they're sort of, like, contract killers. But no, they're they not. Work, they work for law enforcement. So They work for the NSA, and basically they're trying to... Catch him in the act, th- right? If they catch him in the act, if they catch him in the act, they can kill him. And then they can. Then they have two two wins. Basically, they've caught they've caught somebody and they've taken him out of out of the situation, which is and they'll get paid for it by Dan Aykroyd. So, but they're also kind of ridiculous cartoons too. I mean, they're just odd and goofy as far as I'm concerned. But the strong points in this movie are really like the relationship with John Cusack and Minnie Driver and his relationship with John Cusack. I think their phone calls back and forth are a lot of fun. Um, I think she, she's an excellent executive assistant. She really knows how to run that office well and keep him in line. Um, I don't know. What kind of what, what thoughts do you have, Matt? So, since this movie has come out, you know, twenty three years ago, mm-hmm. I have attempted to watch this movie probably five times. And in the rewatch of this movie was the first time I was actually ever able to get through the entire movie. So why were you not watching it before? Because I'd always get bored. Because mm. <laughs> I didn't care. Because <laughs> yeah. I felt like, oh, this guy is a contract killer. Oh, he left his you know, high school sweetheart and he was confused. Who cares? Yeah. He's kind of, I have no sympathy for this guy. So why do I care? And I was like, okay, I'm going to get through this movie because I have a job to do and I want to be able to talk (laughs) about it. And I've always felt like there are quirky little things that I liked about this movie, but I never, I just never really could get into it. Like, like when she immediately kind of starts going gaga over him, even though she kind of tortures him, Minnie Driver's character, even though she kind of tortures him a little bit, it it's too playful. Almost like, you know, they're going to hook up like there's no yeah. regardless of what his reasoning is. She is uh, while heartbroken, still has feelings for him and he clearly has feelings for her. Um, because, he, as he tells his psychiatrist, he constantly has dreams about her. But I don't know. I, I guess I guess I just never, in all those times I tried to watch it, was just never really interested. And I always kind of felt like I, I dropped off at the same point. Like, I was... I never I don't think I ever got to the point where they went to the reunion. Like I mm. always like dropped mm-hmm. off bef- way before that. Like yeah, that's about the an ones hour they, in. 
the one scene that, and it's probably my my favorite scene that I always remember seeing, is the scene when he has the shootout at the convenience store mm. that used to be where his house was. Mm-hmm. And that scene is so great because you have the guy playing the video game and yeah. they're sh- shooting yeah. back and forth. Yeah. But, you know, this, I mean, John Cusack helped make this movie. He mm-hmm. helped write it. It has a lot of the fun kind of qu- weird, quirky things. But I don't know. Like, one of the questions I had for you was, do you think that you liked this movie in the past more for the soundtrack than you did the actual movie? Probably, yeah. I mean, because today that's what was keeping me more interested than anything was the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, uh, they have it a lot of the really pace, good especially music. at the reunion. I mean, you get they, you know, oh, yeah. they, they they go through I don't know ten fifteen songs in the twenty five minute reunion segment. So yeah, um, yeah, it, I think you're right. I mean, it doesn't really. It's it's hard to care about him, and I think, like I said, because I had such an affinity for John Cusack as Lloyd Dobler, and then kind of as any other role he'd had up to that point, I kind of had it in my mind, like, oh well, this is this is John Cusack, so. And and well, I'll say it, and I'll say it's, it's kind not, of a same feeling ahead. I had about like him and High Fidelity because rewatching High Fidelity last summer, he's he's an asshole. I mean, he's frustrating in that movie, and I don't think. I saw it that way initially because I had, you know, rose-colored glasses on. But, you know, given a lot of time from when I first saw it and, like, revisiting it, it's like, eh. He does does do that similar kind of soft-spoken, fast-talking kind of rambling like he does as Lloyd Dobler. I mean, it's almost like he was picking, pulling some characteristics from that character for this guy. I think, well, and and there was a lot of similar things that I found in other roles he's played, even roles that he was in after this movie, that are just kind of, you know, that's what things that we like about John Cusack, so as, as an actor. But, but, you know, now that I finally watched the entire thing, it's not a terrible movie. It's it, it does have some entertainment factors to it. It's just that there's things about it that are really predictable, really kind of like there's funny like you, there's things that are supposed to be funny that I just was not laughing at. So you, you have to have kind of the you have to be in a mood for kind of a dark kind of humor part of it. Yeah. So there's that, but I don't know. I'm it. I I can't really I can't really say that there was anything tremendously great about this movie. Like immediately I was like I didn't really care for even even though it sounded fairly fairly uh, real like mini drivers American accent. Yeah, like it's, kind it's of kind of bothered me a little bit. And then Dan Aykroyd could have been played by anybody. <laughs> it didn't so really need goofy. to, and he was kind of goofy in it. So I'm not sure why he was cast in it. I I think that like the times where some of the music like was in it, I was like, oh yeah, this is in it. But then I also kind of feel like, yeah, of course this song is in it. <laughs> like it wasn't like they were they were getting really um, creative with some of the songs that yeah. they picked. Well, either. Well, th- this can take us to in a little. I want to take us in a little different direction because 
you and I both went to our 10-year reunions. That's what I was going to ask you about, is I was curious, like, this this movie and another movie that we'll probably watch sometime, because I think you like it, is uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, like, these two, those two movies, like, in, when it comes to reunions, I mean, I never thought I would really care about going to my high school reunions. And I went to I went to my tenure, which I actually really had a fun time at. And I went to my twenty year, which was on like like it was an outdoor thing, and the weather was kind of was really hot, and it was nice getting to see some people, but it was smaller, and not as many people came. And I kind of found like like his experience going to a high school reunion was probably how I thought my me going to a high school reunion would be. Just kind of like, why am I here? Who are the, you know, am I going to be wearing fake smiles the whole time? But I was actually, I actually had a really nice time. I felt that they seemed a lot older than it, than like at a 10 year reunion. Like they seemed like like they weren't 28. Yeah. Like there's like, yeah, like they were more like, it was like a, more like a 15 year, not quite a 20 year, but they seem, they did not seem like they were just attending a 10 year reunion. That was the thing because they all just, I mean, it could also just be a regional thing. I mean, they're in Detroit, the Detroit area, which is technically, I guess, like the Midwest. Um, so maybe the idea of so many people have already been married off and had three kids, maybe that made more sense there versus us on in California where at a 10-year reunion, I mean, barely anyone was even married, let alone had multiple kids. That's a generational thing, though. Well, they're I only 10 years older than us. I know, but a lot. I think that, you know, a lot more people from, you know, the generation before us and you know, that we're going to high school reuni- reunions probably were a little more like what they like they had. I mean, I, I've always kind of summed it up as this. People of our generation typically either got married right away out of high school because that was their way, you know, that was just a way of either getting out of the house or they had already found some sort of companionship or whatever, or we've all kind of you know we go to school we get our career going and hopefully we meet someone within that time and so things happen a little later um but i think generations before us it was like it things just happen faster and sooner and people are doing things younger well so it so it made sense that that's a lot of a lot of the people in this movie to me were married or had kids but also it's a small town so a lot of people kind of you know, like if you unless you have the ambition or the resources to leave, a lot of people stick around with what they know yeah. and they they, you know, they either stay with their sweetheart or someone that they knew growing up. And, you know, after high school, a few years later, you know, hooked up with whatever. Well, let's still be clear, though. I mean, they are Gen X. I mean, the, the characters in this movie are Gen X. They're just like earlier Gen X. They would have been born technically in like 68, 69 if they graduated high school in 86. So they're still technically Gen X. It's just we're later. We're towards the tail end of Gen X. Right. So it's not really that big of a different like generation. If anything, it's that whole, it's also the whole 
actors being cast in roles that might be younger than them. Yeah, but, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying it was just it was just an observation from I didn't, what I didn't my ten year like, felt like, and versus like what my twenty year felt like, and then watching these guys, and it's like, huh, this seems a little off. But was there was there at your ten year was there the person who got way too drunk and started wanting to dance with everybody and confess their you know, like read bad poetry to, to anyone? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember, remember that either. I think most of the people that were at my reunion, if they were getting that way, they left. <laughs> they left and got yeah. drunk somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Everything was... The one thing that was funny about... I mean, there was a lot of... I Like I said, I had a lot of fun. My future wife was with me. They played some games, which was kind of fun. Like, you had people... You know, obviously people can drink now, so, you know, it's not like a high school party. It's, you know, it's a, or a, a school event. They had played, like, a game, like, how many teachers can you name, which I'm glad I didn't participate in because I'm a dork and can remember almost all my teachers. Wait, wait, wait. You would have been ashamed of that? It would have been... It was more fun watching people drunkenly try to remember ah. names than, than it would have been, like, someone just, like, ruling the game. You know, they had a game where it was, like... It wasn't even really a game. It was like the person who had the most kids at that point got won like this really bad prize. Mm. <laughs> it was like really, it was kind of funny, but then they gave out. Um, they had people fill out questionnaires, and I actually won like a ten dollars Starbucks gift card or something like that because me and like eight other people, because me and like eight other people won like that we had changed the most since high school, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, huh. It kind of made me That's think a little bit, but I'm probably... They don't know you. You haven't changed much at all. Uh, I think I have, but Anyways. I don't know. I had a good time, so there wasn't, like, all those, like, weird kind of... Like, a lot of the stereotypes that I think they, they bring up, you know, like, the person with their kid there and all that kind of stuff, yeah. we didn't really witness, but... Yeah. I don't know. The the reu- I think the thing that I'll, that I enjoyed more about this movie was the whole reunion aspect of it, and that maybe that's because I can't relate to being a contract killer. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think <laughs> the thing about his job is I think just that general questioning: Am I doing the right thing with my life? I mean, I think all of that us is have maybe had is. some kind of like moments in our career where things maybe weren't going as well as we'd hoped or whatever and maybe I think question that, I think that, like, is this really what sh- I should do with my life well and, you know if you're if I'm John Cusack and I'm getting down to write this movie and 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 I'm like sitting there like here's the concept the concept is a guy who left a small town is going back for his 10 year reunion and then I'm building the story around that and I'd probably start with well, why did I leave? And then just come and like the most crazy thing is would be like, oh, well, I left to become a contract killer. (laughs) And then it was like, well, why? What is my motivation to go back? Oh, it's probably because I, you know, I broke someone's heart and I want to I want to, you know, and I'm always thinking about them. And that's it. I mean, that's basically the concept of the movie. (laughs) He does explain at one point, and I think it's during the shootout with her and her dad and all of the contract killers circling in on them that right before the prom when he had been tapped by the army he started to realize like his like there was too much of a gray area of morality for him and he didn't want to subject her to that kind of darkness 
something like that. Like yeah, well, yeah, was, no, he he took a he took a test when he when he got took a test when he was getting in the army. They basically said they told him, you know, you have your your moral compass is pretty yeah. is pretty off the charts. So we can train you to do something, you know that you might be really good at and and whatnot. And but he, he knew something, like, right when he signed up, and maybe that was when he took the test, but, like, he says, I didn't, I wanted to leave to not subject you to that kind of stuff. But either way, I mean, I think, like I said, I, I you, you mentioned that you thought it was a little strange that she forgave him as fast as she did. I'm going to establish, I think we saw that he's very bizarre, and we're going to have to just assume she's probably just as weird as he is. So oh, yeah. There no, could have no. just been, I, like, I she's agree. kind of odd. Um, I agree. I mean, I think they even said, like, when people bumped into them at, like, a restaurant, like, oh, my God, you guys are still together. Oh, you guys were always so weird and cool and just, you know. Him coming to the town and then everyone just kind of thinking, like, the, they were the greatest thing in the world you know, being together and everything, and then him breaking her heart, and I don't know. This whole... Everything surrounding their relationship just seemed kind of bizarre, but I agree, like, that's probably how their relationship might have been, because they were young, and, yeah. and you know, it was high school and whatnot, but yeah. I think that... I think that, that that is kind of one of the... You know, what I was kind of getting at before, though, is, like, you know, like you had mentioned, you know, he's kind of he's kind of rethinking you know his life and did he make the right choice and Mm -hmm. you know where is his where is his life gonna go like does he want to and i think one of the things that he sees is he sees dan Aykroyd's character and i kind of think he's like yeah i don't want to be that no i don't want to be that guy (laughs) no but i mean like i don't want to be like this guy who goes around you know killing people into into retirement yeah you know basically so and and i think that that's so so and when you tie that in with the whole high school reunion thing i mean you kind of really get to this you you ultimately the moral of the story is is you know when you're young you can you can still change the direction of your life and even when you get older, you know, people, people you know, things are, it, it's a little harder. You have a little, you're a little more established when you're older sometimes. And it becomes a little more difficult to uh, change things up. But, um, you know, sometimes you have to follow that, that, you know, look at what you left behind. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have to find something new. Do and some reflection do some reflection i mean he clearly had some issues i mean he was he, I, I think that my favorite character in this movie might be alan arkin yeah. only because of the whole like you came to me for help and then you admitted to me what you do and now i'm f- afraid of you so i can't really give you advice and he's like yeah. but yet you still come every week at the same time yeah, <laughs> yeah for me it's either him or joan cusack as favorite yeah. character just because i feel like their role was very important so anyways. Yeah, yeah. Joan Cusack Joan Cusack's great. Um She's very funny. The whole everything with Alan Arkin. And then and then the scene when he when he after he's kind of screwed everything up, when he um after killing that one guy at the at the at the party, he uh when he tries calling Alan Arkin, he's con- he's on the answering machine and he's with a patient and the patient's like freaking out and he's like, ah, 
how do you snap, turn yeah. this thing off? Yeah, yeah. that was pretty Alan good. Arkin's excellent. But um, yeah, you mentioned the 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 his former house now convenience store being blown up is your favorite scene. Um, my favorite scene, my favorite scene scene might be when he goes to the radio station for the first time and she gets to confront him. Put him on the spot. Yeah, put him on the spot. I mean, I don't. I think he le- oh he walks out and then he comes back in and then she makes him sit like that whole that whole like five five minutes and. I I just thought because I mean imagine like what if you to be in that situation and how would you react especially if you like have an audience paying, listening to it happening in real time what to grill an old flame yeah it's bizarre. <laughs> well you definitely have all the power if you're running the radio station yeah so. <laughs> but um, do you have any other more comments you want to make um like I said. I finally made it through this movie. Well, that's good. I mean, <laughs> as a homework assignment, I'm glad you finally got to see the end. And, I mean, you got to admit, like, the final shootout at the house is pretty great, right? I mean, the, Dan, I mean Dan Aykroyd... Dan, Dan Aykroyd, getting, the way he gets killed is yeah. amazing. And he deserved and, it. And that was probably the best thing. I, I just wish, like, the TV was on playing, um, like, Saturday Night Live. And then... Yeah. smash yeah well i think we've probably um covered this movie well enough and we can now move on to a movie starring the lead character also named martin with the last name that starts with a b so we're moving from yes. martin blank to martin bishop over in yes. that movie so my movie is called sneakers um, the first time I saw this movie, I probably watched it on TV. Um, I was, I think I was in high school and then I managed to rent it because I thought, oh wow, this is pretty good. Um, and it stars Robert Redford and Robert Redford plays Martin Bishop, AKA Martin Bryce who at the beginning of the movie we discover that he and his buddy Cosmo um, are hacking into a into basically into banks and other kinds of government um, entities to steal money and transfer funds into um, organizations that they felt like deserved it you know Robin like Hood. like kind of like Robin Hood yeah and Martin goes to get pizza, and while he's out to go get pizza, his buddy Cosmo gets busted and and gets arrested. So that is kind of like a flashback that starts the movie, and then we kind of get into the 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 meat of the movie, where Robert Redford's character Martin is the head of a group called Sneakers. And their job is to break into security systems and, and places with with security, like banks and stuff. And then they write a report on how weak the security is. Mm-hmm. And his team is, again, with Dan Aykroyd, who plays Mother. And uh, his character in this is much more watchable than <laughs> Gross Point Blank. Sidney Poitier, who is an excellent actor, 
David Strathern, who everyone should remember was the man who helped get the Women's Baseball League together in a league of their own. And our friend and uh, actor who we lost way too soon, River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So they have all different kinds of um, specialties and whatnot, but their gr- this group, they have kind of an interesting job using all their special talents. And they get hired to by the government to steal a black box created by a mathematician played by Donald Logue in his first uh, credited film. And their job is to steal this black box. By, and when they do, they discover that this black box is very dangerous. And it has technology in it that can break any code from the Federal Reserve to the um, power grid and like all these things. Air traffic controllers. Air traffic controllers, all this stuff. And they find it to be very dangerous, which kind of takes us on our journey. Well, it turns out, long story, long story boring, the government agents were not actually government agents. They worked for this mystery man who ended up being Cosmo, the guy that was busted instead of Martin. And the wonderful Ben Kingsley. Played by wonderful Ben Kingsley. And they don't want to give him the box, but eventually he gets it, and they realize how dangerous it is if he has it. So the second half of the movie is pretty much them trying to steal it from him. Yeah. And how do they break into it and break into his facility and get it? And eventually they do. Everything's great. And, you know, the movie's over. Why do I like this movie so much? Well, it's written very well. It has a lot of really funny dialogue, even though it's kind of an espionage movie. Um, You have a wonderful cast who really, um, really works well together. You know, you never really feel like these people don't, you know, don't fit. Mm -hmm. And... And it's kind of a fun little espionage movie. You know, it's not, you know, we're not talking like, like Tom Clancy, uh, you know, really serious, you know, crazy drama here. You know, there's some definitely like lighthearted humor in it. Well, the drama is the stakes at which, like, what the stakes are high. Like, I mean, if if Cosmo, who is very vindictive you know he's very nefarious and he wants to wreak havoc on the world he's so pissed off that he was sent to prison and really wants to take as many people down as he can well so him having that tool would just be a disaster well and he has this very kind of he's got like this power trip too Mm -hmm. like where he always felt like he never got any breaks marty when they were young and friends got all the girls and you know, he just was always second fiddle. Yeah. So he's got kind of a power trip mm-hmm. going on. The other thing that's great about this movie is it takes place in the Bay Area. Their main office is in Oakland by the Fox Theater. Um, like right above it, like before it got restored and reopened. There's a lot of scenes in San Francisco. 
at one point, Marty gets kidnapped, and this is one of the funnest scenes. So one of, so, so let, the let, the let, the so let me let me let me let me just so. <laughs> David Strahan's character, Strathern's uh, character, Whistler, is blind. So he does. So there's. So they play into that a lot in the yeah. movie, you know, showing him reading a Playboy magazine, but it's all in Braille, you know, things like that. And um, uh, he gets Martin gets kidnapped, taken to Cosmo, and that's when he discovers Cosmo is there. And then they realize they have to steal it, steal the box back. So they're trying to figure out where he where they took yeah. him, and. When they kidnapped him, they threw him in the back of the trunk of a car. So they, so Whistler keeps asking him, like, tell me what you heard. Like, what do you remember you heard? And they do this whole really neat scene where he's at, like, a sound machine trying to mimic the sound of the road. Mm-hmm. And they determine that he went at some point over a bridge. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, well, there's four bridges in the Bay Area. Which is wrong, but we'll get to that Four later. Four bridges from San Francisco. That's what they meant. Because they knew he was picked up in San Francisco. Yeah, that, okay. That's that's the clarification. But that's not what they say, which makes it sound the, very wrong. that's the implication, because he was picked up in you're missing Because you're missing San Rafael and Benicia. But they wouldn't so. have, you wouldn't have crossed those from San true. Francisco. True, true, true. <laughs> so, but they do a process of elimination. So they do this great process of elimination. Like, did you hear a foghorn? Oh, not the Golden Gate. Did you go through a tunnel in the middle? Well, not the Bay. And then ultimately, they figure out by listening to the seams in the road that he went over the Dumbarton Bridge. But see, this is where like geography gets all screwed up because they try to make it like. They took him from San Francisco to Palo Alto, but you never would have gone over a bridge to do that. You would he would have ended up in Fremont, basically. I know. Well, it was so funny about that because at first, so Jack looked it up. He's like, it was the Dumbarton because I kept like, is it going to be San Mateo yeah, or Dumbarton? Dumb- no, Samantha- it was the Dumbarton. And and then and then when they said, oh, and they drove off a of Highway 84, I was like, oh, of course it's the Dumbarton. But then yeah. when I was still convinced that it was San Mateo, I was like, oh my god, they could have just dropped him off at our house, Matt. He could have just been dropped off and at our house when we were growing up. Because we did not live. We lived, what, five miles from the end of the bridge in San Mateo if Bridge? That, if that. If yeah. that. Anyways, if that. I was cracking up because I loved every... I, I'd never seen this movie before. Today was my first experience watching this. So all of the San Francisco stuff, but then the whole bridge debate. I was like, I am all yeah. over this. I completely get it. Well, I'm like, this movie came out in 1992. So... There's parts whenever you watch like an old movie in a city that you're that you're familiar with, like like probably the most common thing is whenever you watch a movie now with the World Trade Center in it, there's 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 a nostalgia there where you're like, oh, my gosh, I remember that. So for people in the Bay Area, whenever you see something that was actually filmed in the Bay Area, because ultimately that scene when they're at the when they're at Cosmo's place wasn't filmed in the Bay Area. They didn't film it in Palo Alto. They just said it was. Yeah. 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 But um, whenever you see something, you kind of have that like, oh, I know exactly where that is. Or you see a restaurant or something, right? And um, so for me, when he does, when he goes to do the drop-off with the people, with the guys who work for Cosmo, but he still thinks they're, yeah. they're the government... 
I was like, I know that that apartment area because I'd see it on Muni all the time on my way to the Giants game. <laughs> but the ballpark wasn't built yet. <laughs> so like you, you don't see, see like the Embarcadero building or something. Yeah, like there's a lot of, and there's a lot of stuff that you see. So anyway, that's that's fun as as a viewer who lives here. That's always fun. Well, and then after he after they were done with him and drop him off on a street in San Francisco, they drop him off Imagine this, many hills in San Francisco. They drop him off on a hill, but in the background, like, you see Alcatraz. So, like, right, there's that right. angle. And I think they must have had at least one or two angles of, like, down a long peering of the streets, and then you see the Golden Gate Bridge. Or Did they yeah. ever, Did you ever notice if, like, they showed Coit Tower? I don't recall. It yeah. could have been really quick, but... Yeah, but there's these, there's very iconic things about San Francisco that get shown. It's, it's great. And this, this was great because... This whole, you know, car chasing or, you know, drama in the city. We've already talked about two other movies that involve this kind of thing. The game and foul play. So it was, I yeah. was like, yeah, it is very dangerous to be to be in one of these movies. Oh, and Zodiac. In, and Zodiac. And was Zodiac. Was there ever a there wasn't chase a really, scene there, in the city? There was, never a, there was never a chase scene in the city, but yeah. there was a murder in the city. Well, <laughs> but an actual, like... Drama in a car in yeah. San Francisco. No, no, I I hear you, but yeah. So so seeing stuff that's in the Bay Area is always fun, mm-hmm. and then just some other kind of you know, like when this movie came out, you know, the internet wasn't huge. You mm-hmm. know, it wasn't like you didn't have hackers like you did you know later, and and so like this whole idea of breaking codes and everything, and then they even they are part of the whole espionage aspect of this too is. They even talk about how how soon this was after the Cold War ended and the wall came down. Mm-hmm. And because they, they have a kind of a friend who used to work for the KGB, I guess. And now he work now he works for like the Russian consulate and as a consultant. And so there's this whole kind of like, uh, did the Russians do this? Who is the, who are the bad guys trying to get this box? Yeah. And that kind of so you do have a little bit of that. And it, so that kind of adds to it. And that's fun. But again, you know, you've got this great cast and I really just find like. Even though his part isn't huge, I really love River Phoenix in this movie. Oh, yeah. And um, when I did, you know, I was checking little notes here and there online. You know, he did this movie after uh, filming My Own Private Idaho, Mm. which is a very kind of intense character role for him. And he actually wanted to do this movie to kind kind of take a back seat and kind of take a break. Like, make some money doing a job, but not have to, like break his back over it yeah um so anyway so that that makes it fun other strange you know not strange but other quirky little things um this movie came out in 1992 on september 11th (gasps) conspiracy theorists galore um and this movie was was made by the same guy that did field of dreams so we talked about wonder they brought in timothy busfield must be because why else? And well, this also came out in '92. I mean, he was riding the coattails of thirty something, I think. So, I think <laughs> but um, but you know, great cast, great acting, and then um, I haven't, I didn't mean to, I'm not missing uh, 
you know, probably the only female character really in this movie. But um, Mary McDonald plays Liz, who is not just the love interest of Martin, but also one of the only sane people in this movie (laughs) when it comes to like, like reality, like. Dan Aykroyd's character mother is a conspiracy theorist. Like he he goes in this whole diatribe about a microphone he he's planting on Martin about how it was the same microphone used when when NASA faked the moon landing. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't believe and JFK was actually dead. Yeah, just... and then you have Sidney Poitier who was a CIA agent who was who was I guess relieved of his duties, mm-hmm. and then you have you have David Strathern who is blind. You know, so they've got that kind of quirkiness to him, and you've got a River Phoenix, who's kind of the young kind of the mm-hmm. young kid. So then, so Liz kind of comes in, and she has to be like the adult. <laughs> she has to be the adult, but then she's also really integral for um, part of them, for them being able to get to get in access to the building. Um, yes. She has the whole thing with Stephen Tobolowski. Oh my God! So yeah. So we so we funny. get so we get uh, Stephen Tobolowski, you know, making making a return to the podcast after Groundhog Day, and um, playing kind of a similar goofy character, and um, but that that was a lot of fun. Matt, I have a conspiracy theory for you. Yes. I think this movie was the inspiration for the milk ad about Aaron Burr. Because when she's at the table with him and he's eating his dim sum, like she asked him, how do you pronounce your name? And he's like just shoved a whole giant dumpling in his mouth. And he said, you know, and he tries to pronounce it. And it's like, oh, "Oh, my God, this this had to be the inspiration. I, I, I don't think so, but it's my theory. Okay, I'll let you. I'll let you get your crew to figure out whether that's <laughs> that's true or not. But yeah, it's just a it's a fun little espionage movie. It's got drama. It's got comedy. It's 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 entertaining. Um, like I said, I I kind of randomly picked it up, and I've you know I probably hadn't. I think I I watched it maybe four or five years ago because. I told my wife, I was like, hey, should we, let's watch this movie. Because I think we were looking at River Phoenix movies or Robert Redford movies. Mm-hmm. And we're like, hey, we should check this out. It's kind of good. And at the time we watched it, it was like we started it really late. And I think I finished it and oh, she yeah. fell asleep. I, I was warned she really, to not watch she, it tired. Yeah, but because um, it's got some kind of slower pacing mm-hmm. issues. We watched it at a decent time this time. And she really liked it. She she thought it was fun. I mean, like I said, I mean, it's not you know the greatest movie ever, but it's really entertaining and you know great cast. I think it ages better than Gross Point Blank does. You know, there's certain things with movies like these where when you say how well it ages is kind of hard. Like this movie. Because I know it takes place in 1992, I think, like, it ages fine for me because I, I kind of understand when it took place. But you can't make this movie the same way now because of technology. I mean... You'd have you'd have to, you, You'd have hack... Yeah, I mean, it would be a lot different. It wouldn't just be getting some black box. It would be, like... They'd have to make they'd have to make it bigger and badder. <laughs> yeah, but, but, I mean, I, I think the whole... I mean, there's this whole idea of... 
like these Robin Hood vigilantes that want to really just do good, but they don't feel like riding the straight and narrow is the way to do it. So they intervene with their special skills, and I feel like that's what this group is all about. And then you have the the bad actors that want to cause a lot of trouble and chaos, and and that, you know, that that story's around forever. I mean, Mr. Robot kind of had that same thing. It's it's definitely something that is... I mean, Die Hard 4. I mean... Die Hard 4 had, you know, oh, let's wreak havoc and reset yeah. the system kind of thing, but it was ultimately just a big bank robbery. But, uh, so anyway, I think my favorite character in this, um, I actually really like um, Sidney Poitier in this. Mm-hmm. He's really good. He's really good. But um, it's probably a it's probably Robert Redford. He's he's really yeah. good in it. There's a scene, um, the scene when he goes to the office building the NSA, you know, the government agents office building to, to, to talk to them about what the, what the whole thing that they want him to do is he drives up in a car and he's got like a jacket on the same, he's wearing the same jacket he wears in the natural. Mm. It's the exact oh, it was same the, that one. baseball jacket, right? Yes. He's wearing yeah. the same one from the natural. Yeah. Which nice. Is, well, this is something about funny. six years later, seven years later. <clears throat> but uh, I just think it's a kind of nice, like, little throwback mm-hmm. to it. So, so I really, I was really surprised by um, David Strahan's character. I really liked him a lot. Isn't it, I thought I thought Whistler was pretty cool. Yeah, and he's it's a the neat scene character. When, the scene when he, pretty much every scene with him, you know, where he when he figures out what the box is doing, what, what the box does, mm-hmm. or um, when he has to drive the truck. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know. You know, all those kinds of things were. He took I mean, very it, good it, direction, and it's a real testament to his to his acting. Yeah, you know, but I wonder how. I wonder how people with um, vision impairment view his character in this movie. I don't know because I don't know, but. Well, we we also talked about him in L.A. Confidential not too long ago. Oh, that's right. That's right. And L.A. He, Confidential, and he played my favorite character in uh, A League of Their Own. So yeah, there you go. So is he your favorite character? Was yeah. he your most? Yeah. Who's your favorite character? Yeah. Cool. And my favorite scene. You know what? I really got to kick it out of them trying to figure out what bridge it was. I mean, I think there's something. That, that's about, a great scene. I think there's just that's something about being scene. a Bay Area native, and just yeah. knowing how important, like how how just traffic impacts our lives so much, yeah. and bridges yeah. in particular. So I, that was probably my favorite scene, more just for the. Special shout outs to those of us who live here. The other thing that, um, the other scene, and, and I, we've talked about, I think we talked about in The Natural, when we talked about The Natural, about how um, there's something about Robert Redford that reminds us of Dad. Yeah. The scene when they're playing Scrabble and yeah. he tries to unscrabble <laughs> the, like, s- s- rearrange the letters to see tech astronomy. It's like Dad to, with Jumble. And I was sitting there like, this is a dad thing right here. Getting the getting the pieces. He'd have his like, he'd have graph paper so he could put a letter in each box. Yeah. And then writing out all the different combinations on graph paper. Yeah. And and all that that was that was definitely a dad moment. I totally so. agree. <laughs> Actually, I like that scene a lot too. When yeah. when they finally they're discovering the box and figuring out yeah. what it does. Yeah. Well, and and how, you know, Robert Redford was he was over there playing the game. You know, the four of them were playing, and then he realized, like, huh, SeaTac astronomy, this doesn't make sense. 
this yeah. has got to mean it doesn't mean else. anything. And I mean, in the yeah. in the movie opens like the title sequence of the movie has the scrambling of the letters. You know, yeah. it's the mm-hmm. letters being moved around to spell something else. So yeah. I wasn't too surprised for too many secrets to be revealed. Um, yeah. Once that happened, but no, it, but, um, it was um, a lot of it was a lot of fun. So. Well, great. I'm glad that you enjoyed that movie. Yeah. See, not everyone I give you is is a dud. Come on. I never said that every movie you give me is a I dud. I know. I know. You've probably made that argument more about my movies than I've made that about yours. I will admit when I was um, when I had my notes open for uh, to write down any thoughts I had about Gross Point Blank, I spelled the word blank B L A. H H H H H H H N K. So it's blah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like you said, I you, you finally have gotten to see it, it all the way through, and John Cusack acts good in it. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing bad about the performances other than Dan Aykroyd just being weird. <laughs> That's just Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. So, anyway, I think I'm ready to move on. Um, I am, uh, we've got a, a big episode coming up pretty soon that we're pretty excited about. Number 50 is coming up. And, yep. um, man, this has been, this has been quite, quite a fun little project that you and I have been doing. Yeah. So, we really, we wouldn't be getting to that point unless. It was if it wasn't for people actually giving a shit about what we're doing. So, yeah. thank you to thank you for all the listeners for for doing this and for listening to us and following us and feel free to interact and give us your opinions about all the nonsense that comes out of my mouth and uh, all the um, free wisdom that um, Nancy tries to to sell you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My name is Matthew. And please pay oh, attention to the fact that I don't think I bring up nearly as many embarrassing stories about Matt as he likes to bring up about me. Just, hey, just note on. that I am, I play along very well through all of this. Hey, what, what have I said? That's embarrassing. Anyways, Come on! I'm not going to go. I'm not going to catalog it for the listeners. If they if if they know, they know. Okay. Well, <laughs> to, on on that note, here's Matthew. My name is Matthew, Mister Making Nancy Uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. This has been fighting over the VCR. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.